I want to talk to you this morning about biblical revival. You know, times get tough and, and, and people start saying, man, we need revival again. We need revival in this country. And I know if you're like me, some of you on social media and around the news, you've been noticing that supposedly there's this great revival that's happening down in Burlington these days. Well, I, I don't want to waste our time this morning uh, criticizing or critiquing. But what I do want to do is I want us to examine whether or not it's a biblical revival. Because all revivals and seeming revivals, and there's been a lot of seeming revivals over the years that seem to kind of fizzle out as quickly as they fired up. And I want us to look at it through the lens of Scripture. And we are in a great text this morning. I love going through a book of the Bible because we are in chapter 8. We didn't prearrange this. God did. I didn't know what was going to happen this week. God did. And yet here we find ourselves in Nehemiah chapter 8. And, and, and I think as we read through this text this morning, your heart will be encouraged. Let us take a look. And I'm going to ask if you would, please stand for the reading of God's Word. I want to begin by backing up to 773. So the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, some of the people, the Nethinim, and all Israel dwelt in their cities. When the seventh month came, the children of Israel were in their cities. Now, all the people gathered together as one man in the open square that was in front of the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of men and women and all who could hear with understanding on the first day of the seventh month. Then he read from it in the open square that was in front of the water gate. From morning until midday, before the men and women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. So Ezra the scribe stood on a platform of wood, which they had made for the purpose. And beside him at his right hand stood Mattiah, Shema, Aniah, Urijah, Hilkiah, and Messiah, at his left hand, Padiah, Mishael, Machihajah, Hashem, Hashbadana, Zechariah, and Meshalem, and Bob. Just kidding, I threw that in there to make sure you're paying attention. Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people. For he was standing above all the people, and when he opened it, all the people stood up. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. Then all the people answered, Amen. Amen. While lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also, Joshua, Benai, Sherebiah, Jamin, Achab, Shabbatiah, 
Hodajah, Messiah, Kalita, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, Peliah, and the Levites, and Frank. Okay, y'all were paying attention. Good, he's not there. Help the people to understand the law. They helped the people to understand the law, and the people stood in their place. So they read distinctly from the book in the law of God, and they gave the sense and helped them to understand the reading. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn nor weep, for all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, and send portions to those for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy to our Lord. Do not sorrow, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites quieted all the people, saying, Be still, for the day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink, to send portions and rejoice greatly, because they understood the words that were declared to them. Now on the second day, the heads of the fathers' houses of all the people with the priests and Levites were gathered to Ezra the scribe in order to understand the words of the law. And they found written in the law which the Lord had commanded by Moses that the children of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month and that they should announce and proclaim in all their cities and in Jerusalem, saying, Go out to the mountain and bring olive branches, branches of oil, trees, myrtle, branches, palm branches, and branches of leafy trees to make booths, as it is written. Then the people went out and brought them and made themselves booths, each one on the roof of his house, or in their courtyards, or the courts of the house of God, and in the open square of the water gate, and in the open square of the gate of Ephraim. So the whole assembly of those who had returned from the captivity, made booths and sat under the booths. For since the days of Joshua, the son of Nun, until that day the children of Israel had not done so. And there was great gladness. Also, day by day, from the first day until the last day, he read from the book of the law of God, and they kept the feast seven days. And on the eighth day, there was a sacred assembly according to the prescribed manner. Father, I ask that you bless the reading of your word. I pray that you will be with me as I preach and teach and proclaim your truth this morning. Give me your wisdom. I pray that the Holy Spirit would use me. I pray that the Holy Spirit would search our hearts, would open our, our eyes to see and our ears to hear and our hearts to understand and that it would be for your glory. May your people return to you in a way that you've called us to. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Now, I know what you're thinking. Man, that was a long time to have to stand here, all that reading, huh? <laughs> yeah. How about six hours of it? That's what we see in the text today. Six hours they stood 
and listened. And I hope you didn't miss it. They listened attentively. They were attentive. They, they had attentive ears. They were paying attention. They weren't drifting. Now, I know none of you ever do that. I know some of you aren't doing that right now. Don't make me name names. Guys, you, you wonder why we don't have revival? Well, this text ought to surely expose our heart. As I prepared and read through this this week, and I was up very late last night pouring over it again, and uh, even in Sunday school, sorry Larry, uh, I figured I'd catch that session later. Um, guys, this is a rich text, and I'll just go ahead and say this. Uh, there is so much here that can be unpacked, and... Um, I hope you'll be a part of the small group discussions tonight because this is rich and there's so much here that we need, especially in this time. But let's talk about some things this morning. Let's talk about biblical revival. What does it take? What does it take? You need a manual this morning, D. That ain't hooked up. Um... Well, let's look at a few things. Again, we read the text, Nehemiah, and, and, and there's certain things that, that stand out here. If you're taking notes this morning, I'm going to kind of give you uh, an initial outline, but then I'm going to give you one that you'll be able to really understand and follow. So let's take a look at some of these points. First off, we've got the desire for the Word of God. The desire for the Word of God. Dustin, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to make it easy on you. As I read, you just click. How about that, brother? The desire for the Word of God. You'll find this in verses 1 through 6. Then we see the reverence for the God of the Word in verses 7 through 8. Then we're going to see the preaching of the Word of God in verses 9 through 12. And then we're going to see obedience to the Word of God in verses 13 through 18. If you were to write this down and go back in your own time this week and meditate and pour over exactly what unfolds here in Nehemiah chapter 8... Gang, there's no way that if you have a heart to see and hear and understand that, that you're not going to see from the pages of Scripture what it takes for true biblical revival. I've heard it said that biblical revival is summed up in one word, obedience. You know, you see here in this text that... Uh, it starts off with uh, the people returning. In, in that 73, it says, So the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, some of the people. And, and as he closes out that, it says that they dwelled in their city. And then it said, When the seventh month came, the children of Israel were in their cities. But then chapter 8, it changes. And it says, Now all the people gathered together as one man in the open square that was in front of the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses. Now isn't it interesting? Who initiated? Who initiated the desire for the word of God? Was it the preacher? It was the people. People? God's people? I believe there's no revival in our land because we have no desire for the things of God in the way in which we should. 
And I think the people of Israel realize this. Think about where they've come from. They've come out of captivity. They've been in Babylon. They've been dispersed. They've not been back in their homeland. For some 70 years, they're finally back. They, they began to build the temple so they could resume worship again. But it wasn't enough. Their city's walls lay desolate. And the enemies were a reproach. And they scoffed and they mocked. And Nehemiah was uh, impressed upon his heart and, and, and had pity for his own people. And he decided to go back and help. And he, he asked the king and the king helped him by, by giving him resources and, and at, the, at the providential hand of God. And he goes back and he's in 52 days, he's rebuilt the wall. It seems like the job may be completed, but no, it's just getting started. Ezra, in the book of Ezra, he has already confronted the people about their sin. Remember, he told them to put away the pagan wives. There was a call to repentance. Judgment begins at the house of God. If there's going to be healing in this land, if there's going to be repentance, if if there's going to be revival in this land, it's going to start with repentance. And it's going to start with God's people. God's people recognized there was a need. And the need was a desire for the Word of God. The month, the seventh month amongst the people of Israel was like a holiday month. It was a holy, it was a holy month. The first day of, of, of the seventh month, was the Feast of Trumpets. The tenth day of the month, they celebrated the Day of Atonement. The fifteenth day of the month, it was common practice to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. And again, we're not unpacking that this morning, but I encourage you, look at what those festivals represented what they commemorated in the Old Testament in the way of remembrance from the exodus out of Egypt and the deliverance of God and the sacrifice that, uh, that was offered yearly to, to atone, but in, in looking forward to the coming of the Messiah. Look at what the booths represent and how God provided for the people in the, in the, uh, in the desert place. But look also at what those feasts point to in the coming Messiah. There's so much more here that we could look at and unpack. And, and, and so, no doubt, they had been without the reading of the law. And all of a sudden, they're hearing it again. There was a hunger and a thirst for the Word of God. I'm going to make this easy for you to remember, because I know some of that's a lot to know. I can't remember that. Man, I can't remember the first point. So let's see if I can help you out here. Let's take a look. Read. Can you read? Everybody say read. Read. Oh, that's good. Y'all thought it was getting bad because for a minute. Read. Here's a simple way to remember this Nehemiah chapter 8. All right? Read. The first point is return to the Word of God. The people return to the Word of God. If we want to experience biblical revival, it's going to start by the people of God returning to the Word of God. Be honest. How often in a week do you feed on God's Word? 
Because let's just be, be, be very clear here. It, it, it's, it's pretty clear Pastor Jeremy doesn't miss many meals. Right? I heard those Snickers. By the way, if you got a Snickers, I'll take one. I'm just saying. I know I'm a little cranky this morning, right? Sorry. Physically, most of you don't go long without missing a meal. Some of us could stand to, but we don't typically. And your appetite is such that you know when you need to eat. Guys, if you are born again and the Spirit of God indwells your heart, how can you go without eating spiritually? There should be an appetite. These people had been dispersed for so long, they were were without the Word of God, and so they were hungry. They were thirsty. And so they returned to the Word of God. Notice what else happened. The people came together. Oh, well, we're going to go there. That's fine. We can go there. Exposition of the Word of God. Yeah, let me just run through the read. So then that's the way you can read it and we can move on. Return to the Word of God. Then you're going to see the exposition of the Word of God. Dustin, this thing is going crazy. Yeah, I know. Let's go forward. I like that better. So we see that they would return to the Word of God. We're also going to see the exposition of the Word of God. We're also going to see that not only did they uh, exposit the Word of God, they also applied the Word of God, and then they also do the Word of God. And so that's what we've got. If that helps you out, just remember, read. Return, exposit, apply, and do. All right. Take a look at the return to the Word of God. So we see the first point, that the people of God came together in unity. Notice verse 1. And it, now all the people gathered together as one man. You know what part of our problem is? There's too many schisms in the body of Christ. As I talked about earlier, when, when Christ came, Ephesians 2 talks about He tore down the wall of separation. He says there's neither Jew nor Gentile. And of course, you know that separation. There was a, a Paul was writing, and he's alluding to uh, the, the the temple itself and the worship. There was a courtyard, and, and the women and the Gentiles were allowed there, but they weren't al- uh, allowed to pass a certain point. There was this great wall. In fact, archaeology has discovered uh, a sign that used to hang there that was inscribed upon the rock that basically said, uh, and this is paraphrase, that any Gentile beyond this wall, any dog past this point. It's to his own death. It's to his own peril. There was this separation. Just as we're seeing today, there's this desire to separate people. God doesn't do that. He unites. Christ Himself tore down that wall of separation. And so, here even in the Old Testament, we see that God's people understand this unity. And they come together as one man in the open square that was in front of the water gate, and they told Ezra the scribe to to bring the book of the Law of Moses. Now, this is the first time we see Ezra mentioned in the book of Nehemiah. And who is this Ezra? Well, of course, we've been learning. Ezra is this uh, a priest, and um, uh, he had been preparing and studying. Go, in fact, go back over to Ezra. I want, to, I want to show you this. Look at Ezra 7. Ezra had been preparing for this. Notice verse 10. 
of chapter 7 in Ezra. For Ezra had prepared his heart. Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it. And to teach statutes and ordinances in Israel. You know, I read this and I see my responsibility. Dustin should see his responsibility. Dean should see his, his responsibility as pastors, teachers, Sunday school teachers. If there's going to be biblical revival, the leadership, the spiritual leaders of the people must have a heart to seek the Word of God and to do it. And so I see the responsibility that, that rests upon my shoulders by example of Ezra, by example of Nehemiah. And so this sort of preceded this return to the Word of God. You know, Leonard Ravenhill said, church unity comes from corporate humility. Let me say that again. Church unity comes from corporate humility. Guys, if we're going to worship the Lord in unity, if we're going to come as one man before the throne of grace, it's going to require humility. You know, this is one of the things that, that, that concerns me about seeming revivals across the land that seem to pop up from time to time and they want to talk about wildfire. But yet Scripture points to something different. Humility. Brokenness. Contrite spirit. The people of God were also hungry and thirsty for the Word of God. 1 Peter 2.2 2 says, As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the Word, that you may grow thereby. Now look, you've been around a baby. Some of you mamas, you know what I'm talking about. When a baby's hungry, baby's hungry. And baby's going to let you know about it, right? Where's our like desire? For the Word of God. Church, we need to ask the Lord to give us this desire. Because you're not going to muster that up on your own strength. You're not going to get there by doing better. You're not going to get there by willpower. Because if you do, you're going to fall off as quickly as you got there. We need earnest prayer to ask God to change our heart, to awaken us to Him, to desire and return to the Word of God. The preacher brought the Word of God to the people of God. Verse 2. And we see that. And the people were attentive to the Word of God. Look at verse 3. Then he read from it in the open square that was in front of the water gate from morning until midday before the men and the women and those who could understand. Now some have said maybe that was the children. Children that were old enough to understand. They were there in the presence. And I think that is, that is the case. But I also think that it's a reference to the many who were there who didn't speak the language. They didn't understand Hebrew. Think about it. They've been in captivity. Many of them have been in Babylon. So many of them came from, from other areas and no doubt 
Um, some of them uh, spoke uh, Aramaic, and, and so there's, there's different languages. So the idea of interpretation that was going on here, that they were translating into, the, into their own language. You're going to see these teachers that are on the stage with Nehemiah, and part of their responsibility, we're going to look at as we unpack this, this, these verses, they, they eventually you help in teaching and translating. Guys, this is why I tell folks, God intends for you to read His Word in the language you understand. Now, I'm not going to beat this horse, but we don't speak Elizabethan language. See, I can't even say it right. Because we don't speak it. Now, if that's what you like, that's fine. If you can, that's fine. But what I'm saying is don't get hung up in the tradition. Hold on to the truth. And the truth is, and here's a biblical example, God desires for you to desire His Word and understand. And yes, He gives you the Holy Spirit that you might understand. But look, there needs to be, and this is part of the gift that God has given to the church, teachers. We'll look at that in a bit. But get the Word of God in a way that you can understand and read it. And heed it. Well, the people were attentive to the Word of God. I wonder how often in a given service you drift. Squirrel! Sorry. These people stood for almost, it said from morning to midday. Now, some have guesstimated that could be anywhere from 12 to 2. We could be talking four to as many as eight hours, possibly. Standing. Not sitting on a pew. It's probably September, October. Standing. And by the way, what is he reading? The law. First five books of the Bible. You know what that includes? Leviticus. Nothing says excitement like Leviticus, right? But you see, that's our problem. Because it sure stirred the heart of these people. And you know what? As God's people, it should stir our heart too. We've conditioned ourselves, especially in America, if I'm not juggling, riding a unicycle or spitting fire, you guys fall asleep. Why is that? I know what my problem is. Let me ask you this way. I, I don't know. I mean, you had kids. Those of you who had kids, you know what I'm talking about. Help me, help me finish this statement. Now, Luke, Garris, don't fill up on junk food or you want what? You want to eat your supper. You won't want to eat your dinner, right? If you fill up on junk food, you're not going to be hungry for what you really need. You following me? Guys, this is what we're doing. We're filling up on junk food spiritually. No wonder we don't have a heart for the Word of God. No wonder the Word of God doesn't move us. No wonder I'm not drawn to that 
quiet time. No wonder I'm not drawn to actually sitting in a small group on Sunday nights and, and talking about the Word of God. Who does that in 2016? We do. God's people do. They should. But our problem is we fed on other things, guys. We've, like Israel, we've, we've set up cisterns for ourselves that are broken. They don't even hold the water. That's why we want more entertainment. Because once it goes away, we want the sequel. That's why happiness is always fleeting. Happiness is always on your circumstances. It's always what's happening. If it's happening, then you're good to go. But then it goes. And you're not good. Joy is what we desire. And he's going to talk about here. That's going to be the result of biblical revival is joy. So let's move forward. The people were attentive to the word. Notice also the people reverenced God. Look what happened in verse 4. So Ezra the scribe stood on a platform of wood, which by the way, you see every, when you, what we see in here, this is, a, this is a great text to understand why we kind of do what we do in Protestant churches. You've ever wondered why? Why do we do things this way? A lot of what you'll see here, we, we do. So Ezra stood on a platform of wood, which they had made. Some of yours may say pulpit. <laughs> he wasn't standing on the pulpit, guys. I've seen some preachers that do it, and they think they're having revival. But anyway, that's another story. Then they flip in the baptistry, don't they, Jeremy? But anyway. No, this was a wooden platform elevated above the crowd so that they could see and hear. And it was made for this purpose. And you notice these people listed at his right hand. And then you notice these people listed at his left hand. Notice what he did in verse 5. He opened the Word. Now this wasn't like a binding book. This is a scroll. And so he takes this scroll and and you can just imagine the anticipation of this crowd. Some estimated 35,000 plus. I don't know. I mean the people have been... You know the the trumpet sound. That means, hey, we got a meeting. Let's go. You know. And so they're all gathered for the Feast of Trumpets. It's a holy day. There's this, this buzz in the atmosphere, no doubt. And they come, and this is the first time the Word of God's probably been heard and read, so they're rediscovering it. They opened the Word of God. They stood for the reading of the Word of God. They prayed to God. They praised God. And they worshipped God. Then you see the exposition of the Word of God. Why are we exegetical teachers? Why at Community Baptist Church do we open the Word of God and then we exposit it? What does that mean anyway? What is that word? Well, let's, let's, let's take a look here what it says in the Scripture. Verse 7. Also, you see a bunch of these guys that were there to help teach. They help the people to understand the law. They were teachers. No doubt these were probably the Levites, these were priests, these were teachers. So they read distinctly from the book in the law of God. And they gave the sense and helped them to understand 
the reading. The word exposition simply means a setting forth or explanation. So expositional preaching is the explanation of Scripture that is based upon diligent study and careful exegesis of a passage. It is the primary call of the pastor or preacher. We see this in 2 Timothy 4.2. We're told to preach the Word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. Remember, Ezra had prepared his heart for this. This was what he was called to do. This is part of my responsibility, to unpack the Word of God, to help you to understand it, to teach you. To read distinctly from the Word, it means to make clear. They gave the sense. It means to ex- they, they explained it. They, as I mentioned earlier, they translated it. This word, to give, to give sense to it, means to break down. Break it down for me, fellas. Right? You know? I mean, this is what these guys are doing. This is the first rap group right here. Um, they broke it down. They explained it. And then this word, they helped. This is the idea that not only these teachers understood it, but they lived it. And because they lived it, they could kind of show it and explain it. Doesn't that make a difference? When you understand a passage, when you really get the Word of God in a situation and and, and you're applying it in your life, and then somebody comes along and is having issues and problems that you once went through, aren't you able to better minister? Isn't that more and and, and well-received because of that life experience sometimes? So, So here's this idea of them distinctly making it clear and giving explanation and helping And then we see the application of the Word of God. The application of the Word of God, verses 9 through 12. And it starts with the conviction of the Word of God. Notice verse 9. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn, nor weep, for all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. <laughs> Guys, think about this. They read the word of the law. And the people were convicted. When's the last time you were convicted? where the Word of God really pricked your heart, where you really just, man, that's me. That is me. God, forgive me. These people were so moved that they're crying. They're repentant in their heart. They didn't start with a shout running around, woo, slinging their jackets. No. In fact, they fell on their face. They were so broken over their sin because it was their sin that had caused them to be led into captivity. Guys, wake up, America. We are in the situation that we're in because of our sin. 
Plain and simple. God told the Old Testament folks that if you obey me, you keep my word, you will remain in the land, you'll be blessing. Remember, we read this in the earlier part of Nehemiah. This is part of Nehemiah's aha moment. And he reminds God in his prayer, God, you said that if they didn't obey, you'd scatter them. But you said if they, if they return to you, if they obey your word, that you would restore them from every part of the land, that you would heal their land. And that's what's happening. And these people are experiencing it. They know where they've been. They know what God has brought them from. And now they're seeing the temples rebuilt. The walls are being, being established. And now they're hearing the law of the word read and they know what they should have done and they didn't do. And that's why they had such pain and suffering in their life. And now they're broken because of it. Guys, we've got to get back to this. If my people call by my name, I know that's an Old Testament, but guys, in the New Testament, you're his people. We've got to get to a place to where we're so convicted over the Word of God that we're so desiring the Word of God that, that it, it, it truly moves us to action. We're not there. We're filled up on junk food. And we need to earnestly ask God to create within us a new heart. That's what will bring biblical, biblical revival. Notice the conviction of the Word of God in verse 9. Charles Spurgeon said, I do not believe that any man can preach the gospel who does not preach the law. You see, when the law was given, it exposed their sin. Paul said, I wouldn't have known sin if it weren't for the law. John Wesley said, before I can preach love, mercy, and grace, I must preach sin, law. In judgment. Because you can't give the cure if they don't know the disease. Martin Luther said the first duty of the gospel preacher is to declare God's law and show the nature of sin. Ray Comfort, who's still with us today, says, Biblical evangelism is always, without exception, law to the proud and grace to the humble. Never will you see Jesus giving the gospel, the good news, the cross, the grace of our God to proud, arrogant, self-righteous person. No, no. With the law, He breaks the hard heart, and with the gospel, He heals the broken heart. These people were broken. That's why the teachers, after they start weeping and mourning, and they're on their faces, and they're recognizing that they're repentant, that they say, no, don't, don't, don't weep. Don't weep anymore. You know, God's, God's bringing us back. He, he's doing this. This is His grace. We're not deserving. He's extended it to it. You've responded to it. That's why they're there. They're not there with a desire for the things of God, if God's not done this work to bring them there, right? And so that's why they're encouraging them, let let your weeping turn to joy. And guys, we will experience that joy when we allow the Word of God to convict us and we come to a place of confession, repentance, we'll experience 
that grace of God that heals us. And that's joy. So, here we see in the text, this method, by the way, is scriptural. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul, Psalm 19.7. Romans 3.24, by the law is the knowledge of sin. Romans 7.7, 7, I would not have known sin except the law. Galatians 3.24, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. Proverbs 6.23, the commandment is the lamp and the law is a light. You see, guys, the law doesn't save. But it's the mirror that we look into to see we fall short. And that's why we must hold that up. That's why we must look intently upon it. To see where I fall short so that I might receive the mercy and grace that I desperately need. And God gives that. Notice the people responded to the Word of God, verses 10 and 12. You see, then He said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet. Because they had responded properly, the people responded to the Word of God. Here was their instruction. Go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet. I I like to put tea right there. I'm Southerner. And send portions to those from whom nothing is prepared. For this day is the holy day to our Lord. Do not sorrow, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. They were instructed to share. They were instructed to rejoice. Guys, this is when we fall in love with God, a natural outflow is going to be love for others. I want you to underline that phrase. Look at that phrase right there where it says, Do not sorrow for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Guys, are the circumstances of this life just kicking you down right now? Can I tell you where your strength is? It's in the joy of the Lord. Go with me, John 15. Look in John 15. Hold your spot. Flip over to John 15. By the way, we're, we're going to do... We don't want to be hearers of the Word. We want to be doers of the Word, right? So we got another five hours. I'm just kidding. <laughs> All righty. John 15. And look what Jesus said in, in verse 11. He says, these things, what things? Well, things that we find in the Word of God. The Word of God. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. You know why you don't have joy that's full? Oh, you may have happiness. You may have fun times. But you know why we lack joy and it's not full? It's because we don't have that desire for the Word of God. Jesus said, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. My last point, doing the Word of God. Doing the Word of God. The men were willing, notice this, verse 13 through 18. 
Now on the second day, the heads of the fathers' houses of all the people. The men were willing to lead their homes based upon the word of God. I, I, I don't know all the statistics I've heard is upwards 70, 70 plus percent. Fatherless homes. Guys, is there any wonder we have the problems that we have when we have absent fathers? Fathers, we must lead our homes spiritually based upon the Word of God. These men gathered, these were leaders not only of their homes, but also of the community, and they gathered back together, and they began to base everything they did upon the Word of God. They saw they had abandoned it. They saw that's what got them in trouble. They saw that they had not been obedient. And so now, they're returning with joy, and that joy is being full because they're being obedient to the Word of God. They're doing the Word of God. The the people were doers of the word. Verses 16 through 18, we see that. Then the people went out and brought them and made themselves booths. By the way, they were instructed again. This, this, uh, as mentioned earlier, the the festival, the the, uh, Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Booths. And this was to commemorate that time in the desert that God provided. Dads, if you were to take Christ at His word, Matthew 6.33, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and these things will be added unto you. Stop thinking that your hard work and your, your, your doing and your ability is what's going to provide for your family. No, your family needs you to lead the home spiritually. That doesn't mean you neglect your work. I'm not saying that. But when Christ is at the forefront, when Christ is at the center, when your life is saturated with the very Word of God to the point that it spills over in everything you do, that it affects the way you see things, it affects the way you think, and your whole life is set apart for His glory, He will provide. And that won't be at the price of our families. It'll restore our families. It'll build up our families. My brothers in Christ, my African-American guys here, let me encourage you from the Word of God, lead your home spiritually. We all need it, but statistics are saying that this is, this is more rampant. And you've got to change it. We've got to change it. But we live in a culture today where a white preacher speaks and, and, and that's deaf ears. We need men like you guys to rise up and teach them the love of Christ to change the course. I grew up trailer park trash. I know a few trailer parks that we've been sharing the gospel with and I know a few more we need to go to. Guys, the only thing that's going to change our communities, the only thing that's going to change America is the Word of God, the Spirit of God, and it's going to start with men leading the way. We have fallen down in our responsibility. It happened in Adam's day, and it's happening in our day. And we're all guilty. The revival... 
David Guzik said this. He said, The revival began by the Spirit of God working through the Word of God. It continued that way also. If we want biblical revival, it's going to begin by the Spirit of God changing us. And we need to be on our face asking God to change us. That we can return with a desire to the Word of God again. That we will have an affinity and a love for the things of God again. That He will ignite within our heart a passion to understand and know Him. And that will affect every aspect of our life. It's not something we compartmentalize and do on Sunday. And eat junk food all week. Because we have no appetite when we come in here and sit. And we can't even sit for 45 minutes or an hour. No wonder, guys, we're in the state we're in. And it's not their fault. It's our fault. Why would anybody want what we want? Hey, I got a great meal, man. Broccoli, carrots, stewed cabbage. Nor my bag of Doritos. That's good stuff over there. Y'all should come. We eat it every Sunday. Hey, can you hand me them Krispy Kremes? Spiritually speaking. This is what we do. There are only two kinds of persons. There are only two kinds of persons in this world. Let me hear you, guys. Let me hear you. Everybody listen up. Two kinds of people in this world. Those dead in sin and those dead to sin. Let me say that again. There are only two kinds of persons, those dead in sin or those dead to sin. Leonard Ravenhill. Who are you? Which are you? Because if you're dead to sin, then why should we continue any more in it? And if you're dead in sin, then I pray the Spirit of God quicken you, awaken you to the truth, to understand that He's got a better life for you. He desires to give you a new heart. He desires to make you a new creation in Christ so that old things can pass away and behold, all things are becoming new. Guys, let God have His will and His way in your life and change you and transform you from the inside out. And you will experience joy unspeakable. A.W. Tozer said, Have you noticed how much praying for revival has been going on of late? And how little revival has resulted. I believe the problem is that we have been trying to substitute praying for obeying. And it simply will not work. Obedience. That's what we need. Well, what's our application? Our application is seen here in the text. Desire for the word of God. A return to the Word of God. Reverence for the God of the Word. Exposition of the Word. Preaching of the Word of God. Application to the Word of God. Obedience to the Word of God. Doing the Word of God. And last reflection. 
we see it again. The revival Dustin, if you pull that up back up for me, please. The revival began by the Spirit of God working through the Word of God. It continued that way also. If we're going to experience biblical revival, this is where it is. This is how it looks. This isn't something that we hype up or pump up. This is something we must fall on our face before a holy God and ask Him to do in us and through us. Join me as we close in prayer. Father, there is so much more here. We just... In this setting, it's um, not able to unpack everything that, that's laid out before us. I pray for the care groups tonight as they meet that they'll be able to do so and, and really talk openly and discuss this text in, in, in its fullness to really understand what was taking place in Nehemiah's day. And Lord, I, I pray that it wouldn't take us being scattered and in a desert place without your word to create that desire. So Lord, I ask and I pray that my brothers and sisters would join me this morning in desperately crying out, God, change our heart. Breathe life into us again. Awaken us. Stir our hearts with the with the Holy Spirit who indwells us as believers to be obedient, to be doers, to be diligent in our study, to return to the Word of God, to understand the importance of of exegetical and expositional teaching and preaching of Your Word, to apply it and to do it. And so, Lord, I ask that You do what no man can do. I pray for our church in a special way that perhaps this week we will return to you as the people of Israel did in this text. And that our sorrow of confession of sin, brokenness over the sins of our life, apathy and complacency could be taken over with a wellspring of joy. Rejoicing, sharing. And we'll give you the praise. We'll give you the glory. Because we ask it in the name, above every name. In the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And all of God's people said.